welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and sometimes some friends on their way to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And no one else. Jesse, we miss you. (laughs) (laughs) We kicked him off the podcast because he went to go see a Fall Out Boys concert. Jesse, it's been fun. Thanks for the memories. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we get get mail about that. (laughs) (laughs) We start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? Oh, boy, have I been playing games. And one of the ones that I want to talk about, and it baffles me just a little bit because I haven't looked into the background, but this game was nominated for the 2023 Kenner Spiel de Yars. So not the uh, Spiel de Yars, not the Kindle, uh, Kinder, but the Kenner. Kenner Spiel de Yars. Uh, what excellent pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, my girlfriend is half German. <laughs> <laughs> and she hates my pronunciation. <laughs> uh, but this game was nominated for the 2023 Kenner Spiel. But what I don't understand is this game came out in 2015, well, re-released in 2015, and that is Iki. I can ex- I, I can explain that to you. All right. Uh, the Spiel de Jahr, the Spiel de Jahr's awards are for games that are released in German of that year. Oh. Yes. So even though the version you have is a re-release, a second edition, I think this was the first year it was printed in German. Yeah. A second edition, you say. Well, it's interesting that uh, that you say that it was released in German because the version I got has an instruction manual in both English and French. So <laughs> it, it is probably the fault of Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I figured it was, they had already gone international whenever I had that multilingual instructions uh, to boot. All right. This game takes place in the Edo period of Japan. I don't know when that Edo period is. It's pre-modern. That's about all I got for you. And it is a roundel-style game where you are sending a worker around a series of markets and you are hiring workers to place into those markets trying to attract uh, people to visit your artisans and workers while you visit other people's artisans and workers to gain resources and other items to get as many victory points as possible. And one of the cool things is you can put out a worker, an artisan, whatever, into the market, and if you visit them, you get the bonus, the action from the card. But if you, if an opponent visits them, these artisans gain experience, and after a certain amount of experience, uh, they give you better and better bonuses, and eventually they retire, which will give you a permanent bonus for the rest of the game. I also like how this uh, this game, so it's a roundel game, so it's a circular market, and you are running around, and one of the key things that happens is before you move your uh, worker around the market, everybody takes turns placing another pawn to determine how many spaces that you're going to move. And you 
can move exactly that many spaces. There is a little bit of movement manipulation in the game, but you can move exactly that spaces. And uh, <laughs> and so you might be vying for the one movement spot or the two movement spot or the three movement spot. And it, it has all these different worker placement elements that I really like about having perfect positioning to get this particular action at a particular time, such as you retire, retire a guy. Uh, and then you can have the money to hire a new guy out, and you can combine all these actions. So it's a nice worker placement mixed with roundel-style game. Uh, I've owned this for a while, and whenever I saw it nominated for the Kinderspiel of the Yards, I was like, ah, oh, let's break this out. Let's play this bad boy again. Brought it to my friends. We had a blast. Jesse's not here, but he won. It was his first time playing, so I guess he's a board game master. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of different strategies in this game that seem pretty viable. Like there are things, there's buildings that you can construct on the side that give you victory points. Um, there are sets that you can collect that give you victory points there's all these different options so even though we were playing with four players it didn't seem too crowded that's good yeah so david what you've been playing i've been playing one of the hot games of recent it is called heat pedal to the metal it is a racing game designed by i believe the same designers of i believe it's the same designers of flam rouge yeah, so I've been playing Heat Pedal to the Metal. It's one of the hot games now. Nah, Heat, hot, that's funny. Uh, it's designed by the same guys who designed Flam Rouge, who have, which is another stellar racing game. You played that game one time. It, yeah, and I would hated you describe- it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate it. It was it was fine. I was, it was like, it was okay. <laughs> for the listeners, uh, there, there are websites out there for Flam Rouge where, they can, where you can just... Uh, toggle different settings and we turned on all the ridiculous settings to give us one of the most ridiculous races ever and it was david's first race so it was maybe not the best experience for first <laughs> <Flam> Rouge. <laughs> it probably wasn't but it, it, it was fine it was fine um i'm also not great at racing games uh, but they took what they learned from flam rouge and applied it to formula one racing in heat pedal to the metal and this is a hand management game where you are playing cards that have a specific number on them, and that tells you how far you go on the track. And you're trying to go as fast as you can, except around corners, because if you go too fast around a corner, you'll spin out. And this is just a really fun racing hand management game. It's called Heat, and because you are using Heat as a resource within the game. If you want to do something awesome, like draw an extra card... You can you can take heat on your engine, but it starts clogging up your your hand of cards because you you have a hand of seven cards, and if it's full of heat, you can't play them. You have to shift to a lower gear to cool down and get the heat out of your hand to draw the actual cards that let you go farther. You can take heat to double shift, do a really big shift to so say you're playing um, uh, way more cards, or you can downshift quickly so you can take a corner more easily. And it's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of racing elements in it. You're drafting against all the other racers. Oh, man, it's just a blast. I taught this last night at a game night. And I, like I said earlier, I'm not good at racing games. Uh, at one point, every other player was in a big pack. And I was ooh, five or six spaces behind. And I remarked, man, I'm a great teacher. 
that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was a ton of fun, and you get a ton in this box. It is a little bit more expensive than your typical board game, because I, I think, a, like, when I see a, a board game box, I typically think, oh, I'll pay 40 to $50 for something like that. This one did cost $75, which is a bit on the steeper side, but it comes with four racetracks to race on and a bunch of modules and then like a legacy style campaign where you do a circuit. So you got like four races that you're competing and whoever scores the best at the end of that wins, which I haven't started uh, diving into, but I'm going to start doing it uh, possibly solo because the AI on this is not too bad either. You actually, I'm glad the AI on this system is robust because since it's a racing game and with like a like a drafting mechanism in it, you want more cars on the track. So even if you're playing with two or three players, they recommend using that the automated drivers, which are pretty challenging. Oh, nice! Do you make race car noises when you play this? Oh, you have to, especially when you're <laughs> shifting gears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, every turn you shift or <laughs> race car terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I've played this a handful of times now. Uh, it's, it's been fun each time, and I I can't wait to get it back to, get it back to the table. Very nice, very nice. And that brings us to. Game of the Fortnite, the part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite, we're talking about Broom Service, published by Ravensburger Games and designed by Alexander Pfister. I guess Ravensburger's the American publisher. Were you saying Aaliyah? Yeah, Aaliyah. Yeah, it's Aaliyah Ravensburger. Published, uh, designed by Alexander Pfister, who you may recognize from some stellar games such as Great Western Trail, Mombasa is another well-regarded one, Maracaibo. He has about one pretty heavy Euro game each year, but this is one of his earlier designs, so before he dipped his toe into the uh, heavier Euros. Broom Service is a hand management game where each round you're picking four roll cards. And these roll cards are going to allow you to move a witch to deliver potions. You're moving your witch around on the map, you're gathering resources, you're dispelling and collecting clouds, and you're delivering, you're using these witches to deliver your potions to wizard towers. And whoever does this the best scores the most points, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most points wins. But the interesting mechanism behind this is the Cowardly Brave reward system. Each round, every player chooses four of the exact same ten roll cards, and then when it's your turn to lead a round, you pick one of those cards from your hand. You you play it, and right then and there, you must play Cowardly or Brave. And then the next player in turn order must play that card if they have it in their hand. Now, the brave action is a very powerful action, but it doesn't resolve until everybody's had a chance to play that card, because the last person to go brave is the person who gets the brave action. So you have, you're, you're given that decision, do I go brave 
and try and get this powerful action, or do I think another player is going to steal it from me, and if they steal it from me, I get nothing. Where I can take the cowardly action and get something right away. I think this game is a ton of fun. There's not too many games out there like this. It does something fairly unique. I mean, it gets people to the table, and it's one of those games where you are constantly looking at everybody, trying to figure out, did did you grab the forest witch? Do you need to go to the forest witch? It has a it has a ton of player interaction just because you are looking at everybody's board state and going, no, they definitely have they definitely have that forest witch. I'm going to go cowardly so I at least get something this turn. One of my favorite things about this game before getting into the gameplay is the artwork. So. Oh yeah, this is this is an early example of Vincent Dutrait artwork. My favorite board game artist. Yeah, absolutely. And it is easy to convince a lot of people just based on the box art alone. Alone. <laughs> and hey, have you ever seen Kiki's Delivery Service? Let's do that. <laughs> Let's maybe not do that. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen that movie. What's, what's wrong with doing that? Uh... Kiki's Delivery Service is kind of a game about bur- uh it's kind of a movie about burnout. So Oof. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's not turn uh burnout into a board game. But I get I get I get your point. I get your point. Forgot about that part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But exactly what you s- said is the brave and cow- cowardly actions and having a really really I think well-designed map with lightning bolts and other things scattered all over the place um, that you really have to have, a, you know, you really have to think about what's going on. Uh, you know, someone could be standing somewhere where they're next to a green tower, but uh, that's just to fool you. They're only going to move all the way over here. <laughs> or maybe they're going to try to get the weather... It's the weather tokens, right? That's what they're called? Yeah, the weather tokens, I think, is what they're called, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, plus, I th- there's events that also help spice things up. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Each each round has a different event on it. And yeah, it really... It, it changes the game from round to round. And it makes you think about what cards you're going to pick each round, which I think is an excellent design choice. So, some of the events are things like Ooh, spend all of your resources as much as you can because you'll get extra points if you have less than five resources stockpiled at the end of the round. Or try and get both both of your witches onto the same terrain type. You'll score a little bonus. Or avoid these terrain types because you want, uh, you'll lose points if your witches are on them this round. Yep. And so between the brave and cowardly, cowardly action and the events, it really spices things up. I love myself a good bluffing game and trying to figure out what other people are doing so I can do a thing. Um, and if I remember correctly, you have 10 cards to choose from, and you can pick from those 10 every single round, right? Or are those discards? Correct. You could, If you wanted, you could do the same four every single round. You won't win, but you could do that. So unlike other bluffing games where people will play things and you you'll need to remember them everybody has the same 10 cards every single round and trying to figure out what kind of strategies that people are going for that's always fun mm-hmm. which is druids and 
You have witches, druids, gatherers, and then the weather fairy. And the weather fairy. Classic weather fairy. Every single card's got invented to trait art. Ah, it's it's really good. The amount of interaction in such a such a simple game, I think, is is masterfully done. Uh, if I had been super into board games and designers at the time, uh, I probably would have been watching Alexander Pfister for for years instead of just recently going, "Oh, hey, Mister Pfister does a lot of stuff." Oh, hey, I have a game of his. Yeah. This is a Broom Service is a game I picked up pretty early in my collection, and it stood the test of time. Um, it was one of the early games that uh, Ellen really gravitated towards. She's really good at it. Uh, I think I think it scales really well. Uh, it's two to five players. In a five player count, you're going to have a lot of card interaction. So to force that in a two player game, there are some cards that you can pick. You can pick these cards, but you lose points for picking them. And those change each round. So it, it gives you an artificial smaller hand size to get that bumping up against each other in a two-player game. So it goes, it, it's now, ooh, did Ellen pick this? Or even, ooh, did Ellen pick this card that's going to lose her points? Because I chose it too. Nothing is more heartbreaking when you choose a card that will lose you points, you go brave, and then the opponent steals it away from you, so you get nothing, and you still lose points. And you still lose points. Yeah, I played this two-player with my girlfriend in a game cafe, and uh, location's not important. (laughs) (laughs) In a city that's not Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to shout out that location, but now I can't. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. We we just we just like playing board games whenever we go on vacation. So we go mm-hmm. to a board game cafe. I saw this. I figured it'd be pretty easy to teach. It was <laughs> once I <laughs> once I realized that there is a ver- the variation for the smaller player count, <laughs> which I almost went past. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely enjoyed it at two player, and then of course we played it together several times. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like I said, it's been in my collection for probably about a decade now. Uh, this so game it's... came out in what year? I didn't say. 2015. So Close to a decade now. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think you've had it for a decade now. I said close, I didn't say a decade. Alright, 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 alright. So I think this game is for... Kind of, it's a it's a bit of a family weight style game. I really enjoy it. That that hand management, it's it's pretty easy because I, we, Ellen, uh, Michael and I listed the types of cards earlier. There are only really four types of cards that you're choosing from, so it's not super difficult to explain. And once you get a round or two in, everybody should know exactly what they're doing. So that's uh, and it's good. It's a good family weight game. Who who would you recommend this game for, Michael? Teenagers. Teenagers? <laughs> uh, preteens. Uh, families. Families with teenagers. <laughs> we need Am to, I doing we need this to, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need to work on our recommendation skills. <laughs> Ke- oh, I recommend this to Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There are There's gatherers, witches, druids, and the singular weather fairy yeah but for the other three 
they're all just variations of the same action, just focusing on a specific resource or uh, something else. So, do you, David, give this the Board Game Famous Gold Star Award? You know, I I do. Um, there is there's not a lot of games out there like this. Uh, there is one other game that that comes to mind, and that's Glass Road, that has a similar mechanism where you're choosing an action from a hand of cards, and people can play their cards off of that. Uh, that is a another game I actually really love. Uh, it's in, it, that one's also in my collection, and but I don't get to play it as much because it's a dry theme. It's it's Euroy, so you got to have a Euro crowd to play it. Broom service pulls people in. It plays. It's punchy. It's quick, and it's done in like forty five minutes. I. It, it's a staple of my collection. I have to give it the board game famous gold star. It's been a while since I've given a gold star out, so I feel like I need to. <laughs> you, you don't have to feel compelled. You don't have don't, to feel compelled. But I think I think Broom Service deserves it. In fact, uh, we've been talking about it. It's been a hot minute since I've played it. All I want to do is get it to the table now. I think there are very few games of this weight that has one mechanic that is make or break. And the brave versus cowardly, trying to gauge what other people are going to do, going big or going small for the little gains, that just really makes a game electric, like Broom Service. That that brave versus coward on every single card, just trying to figure out how am I how am I going to ha- <laughs> like have a good round. <laughs> It makes sure that the game is tense the entire way through, too. Absolutely. Every single round you're just agonizing, do I go brave? Do I go cowardly? And that moment where you are sitting there and it's your turn to declare, and you have the cards in your hand, and you finally uh, pick to play a druid, and you decide to go brave, and then the first person, they don't do anything, they don't have it. The next person, they don't have it. But the person after them... Ah, uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, that that feeling, perfect. I have to give this a gold star. That singular mechanic, very good. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I don't like a lot of games that only do one thing the entire game, but Broom Service it really knocks it out of the park. And now it's time for Brother Talk, the part of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want this fortnight. And this fortnight, we're talking about additions and revisions. Games up, uh, game publishers updating themselves, coming out with new versions, making making the rules better. Thoughts and opinions. This was actually brought up, brought to our attention by uh, one of our Discord users, Anderson. Shout out to Anderson again. What's up, Anderson? We still <laughs> need to play games together. <laughs> you you you've played with David and we live in the same state so what the hell <laughs> <laughs> I have played some games online with Anderson <laughs> uh, so he was he was asking about I think the question he had and this is not mail time this is uh he was asking at what point do we think it's appropriate or necessary for a game to receive a, a reprinting or an, an essential edition reprinting talking about viticulture and all that and I just wanted to talk about additions, revisions, reprintings, things like that. 
Uh, first, a lot of games do not get reprinted. The majority of games don't get reprinted. They have to be good enough that they find an audience that reprinting makes it profitable. Or popular enough. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? Oh, Good enough. Popular? No. No, I said profitable enough. <laughs> oh, I thought you said good enough. Right, keyword's profitable. Yeah. To get reprinted. And in, in those reprintings, is it important to update rules, update... Update anything? Going back to new editions? What are your thoughts on this? You said you haven't played that... We were talking about this. You said you hadn't played that many second editions or revisions. I think you've played more than you realize. Uh, for example, Broom Service is a is an updated version of a game called Witch's Brew. So you could consider Broom Service to be a, an essential edition. Uh, yeah, I did not know that. A lot of games don't advertise it. Uh, <laughs> the newest... Have you played the newest version of Raw by 25th Century Games? I have not yet. Oh man, that that new edition is so good. And the the changes in that one is almost only graphical, as I understand it. But the graphics make that gameplay so much smoother. Before we were recording, yeah, we talked about it. Examples of later editions that I have played are Parks, which is specifically just a component upgrade. Galaxy Trucker, where they've made some slight rule modifications. Catan, because I have not played the original Catan. Settlers of Catan, or Catan, however you want to say it. My thoughts are, there are good reasons to do it. And I think the game has to be good for it to make sense. For another for another revision to come out, yeah. For, for another re- revision to come out. And the new edition can do a lot of good things like fix some rules. I've heard that the later editions of uh, Betrayal at the House on the Haunted House on the Hill. Did I say that right? Betrayal at the House on the Haunted Hill, something like that. Yeah, so, something like that. I've everybody, heard that the, everybody just calls it Betrayal. <laughs> everybody just calls it Betrayal. I've heard that the later revisions of that fix plenty of the scenarios. Probably doesn't fix the basic problems with that game in general, but it's still a fun game. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it it fixed some of the scenarios so that they could be more enjoyable and less broken. Galaxy Trucker Second Edition added like a campaign mode and different difficulty hardnesses. So instead of having to do a whole mission like you do in a whole series of missions like you do in the original edition, Galaxy Trucker has a, has different game modes which can make it fun for just pick up and play one explodey uh, transport mission. I don't think I've actually played a bad second edition or later edition. I mean, Twilight Imperium... Fourth edition was really good, and we've played third edition, but I haven't played first and second. So, so there was a major, as I understand it, there's a major change between second edition and third edition, and it's that action selection of what you're going to do for the round, the thing that gives you the number and the special action to take on your own turn. That wasn't in the original edition of Twilight Imperium, which means there were some massive revisions between like the from the beginning to now. Um, I think. 
you bring up bringing up Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition is a good idea because Fantasy Flight is notorious for updating their games, for good or for bad. Because I I don't I think most of their lifestyle type games or or most of the games that they have that are like the backbone of their company have multiple editions. So Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. Uh, at, they don't currently have it, but they were responsible for the third edition of Fury of Dracula. You were talking about you haven't played a bad revision. They released X-Wing 2nd edition. Now, I'm not saying that one's bad. I haven't played it. But I love 1st edition, so I'm not going to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that, that, one's, that one's interesting because um, you have... That's more of a lifestyle game mm-hmm. compared to a regular board game. You know, a war game is a lifestyle game, so you're going to be invested for it, hopefully for a long time. That's that's what they want. And buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. Uh, but for for uh, normal board games, that I, I would say, I don't think I've heard of one. But... I'm not. I'm not against releasing multiple editions. They can do two really big things, which are make a game that was not previously available. Well, I'd say three big things: make a game that was not previously available, available again for mm-hmm. an audience. It might take a new form. So, like Battlestar Galactica was super popular. Copies on the second market were so expensive. Yeah, they're, they're never going to get the license to print it again. Nope. That's oh, they, yeah, they, they, they had to they, reskin it. <laughs> They have to rescan it. It's practically the same game from what I've heard. I have played Battlestar Galactica, but I have not played Unfathomable yet. One day. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes a game that was hard to play available again. I think that's a good thing. It it fixes problems, which is a good thing. Uh, and it can improve the components. So what do you think is the publisher's responsibility when it comes to fixing the problems of a popular game. Because I see, I can see both sides of the issue. One, the, like if the game is good, but there are a few issues, is, is, this, is the publisher responsible for fixing it? Because if they, if they release an updated version, how are they going to get that update to all the people who already own that, like that, the first edition that might have a few problems? And I've seen companies release update packs, which is really nice. So Dominion's doing that right now. They are releasing second edition of all their sets and expansions, taking out a few actions, putting a new few new actions in, and you can buy a tiny little box of all the actions you're missing from the updated editions, which I think is really nice. That's a really great way to keep your, your customer base uh, happy and, and your fan base happy. I'm happy buying those tiny little boxes. One, I get all the new actions. I keep all of the old actions. And the tiny little boxes are adorable. That also makes uh, that makes sense for a game whose components are easy to reproduce mm-hmm. comparative to other games. You know, the cards are the rules. And so it's easy to fix that way. Some components are not super easy to replace. Uh, from a rules standpoint, it's hard to fix a lot of things. Just play test, play test, play test, play test, play test. There are some games out there that probably weren't play tested enough 
for whatever reason, or maybe they found a mistake and took playtest, but they were already X distance into uh, development and they couldn't make substantial changes. Mm-hmm. Maybe they realized that the game is a dud. <laughs> or, <laughs> mid, or mid, which is fine. <laughs> but, yeah. At least for D- Dominion, if you have the capacity and you can find an, an ingenious solution where you can fix it, where it does not cost the consumer a lot, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Gloomhaven's getting a new edition. That means your uh, your your first edition Gloomhaven campaign is void. You've no longer finished Gloomhaven. No. no. <laughs> Unless they put Gloomhaven second edition on BGG, which I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I do not care. That was four and a half four and a half good years of my life, <laughs> but that I'm never getting back. And I do not need to start a new adventure because we're still working on Frosthaven. <laughs> But yeah, I'm for it, as long as, you know, for rules fixes, if there's a better way to do it, absolutely. If it's making a game that was not previously easily available, available again, like Raw, yeah, put, put that baby back into the zeitgeist. There was a, a, a reprinting recently of another favorite game I have. The, the most niche game I have is The Castles of Burgundy. I think there was only like 500 English copies printed, so my copy's in German. Uh, that was finally, <laughs> finally reprinted, like, last year. The only problem is they added a little bit more content, and I was like, ooh, do I buy the new version? But I didn't. I kept my old German version. Um, and one one more topic I wanted to talk about is, like, balance stuff. Some games that really get popular have a little bit of balancing issues, and there's, like, some slight balancing issues that publishers have been known to... Uh, make not not reprints but official statements about uh for example the the one that comes to mind uh, the two that come to mind are terra mystica there are certain factions that are slightly better than others so you're supposed to take uh, like a point advantage or disadvantage depending which faction you get and the same thing is true for tapestries massive faction and ability combo um you're all right there there are a lot of things that they had to fix for tapestries. Well, they didn't really fix any of the, the... They didn't change any of the mechanisms. What they did was release, if you start with this faction, you get 50 points. You get a 50-point head start based on the amount of game... Like, uh, the amount of games logged by all the players. Because, let's face it, whenever Stonemaier releases a game, people are usually buying it. Yeah. And because of that, uh, it got played a ton, and they noticed some balance issues. So, and S- Stonemeyer did something about it. They released a statement and, saying, and "Thankfully, like, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer is very, very open with the community. Oh, very active in the community. I, I don't. He's got such a positive impact on the community. I, I don't know if he can do any wrong within the within the board gaming community. He, some of his games haven't been great, but." Because we did talk about the Stonemeyer's okayest board game a few podcasts ago. Which one was that? Red Rising. Oh. Which, I, I don't know if that's true. It might be Pendulum. I have not played Pendulum. Yeah, I have not played Pendulum either. Alright, there are... Not all the adjustments for tapestries are victory points. I just looked it up. 
Okay. But <laughs> there but he's doing something about it. Correct. He is short of releasing a, a, an essential essential tapestry edition. <laughs> And this next section, without musical accompaniment, is mail time. For those Spotify app users of you, you may have noticed at the bottom of our podcast, there was a place for you to fill out your top ten during our top ten episode. So, for <laughs> and then afterwards, I checked to see what percentage of our users use spotify app and it is not the majority so uh i apologize apple (laughs) (laughs) apple music apple podcast however that works uh you didn't you did not get the you did not get the question and apparently spotify web users did not get it either but we did get a submission from a spotify app user and we would like to review their top 10 we're going to roast it. We're not going to roast it because, spoilers, we actually kind of really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've played 70% of this list. It's a pretty good list. This top 10 list comes from listener Chelsea. Shout out to Chelsea. Woo. Thanks for replying to our uh, to our episode and submitting your top 10. So her number 10 is Planet Unknown. That is a polyomino game that I have yet to play. Have you played it? No, no, nope. It's the polyomino game with a lazy Susan. the The mechanism sounds, the the mechanism behind it sounds incredible. You you rotate the lazy Susan to get whatever piece you want in front of you, and you take that piece, and then that determines whatever the option is for everybody else. And it's game came out last year. Sounds really good. Have not played it. Moving on. I see it all over the place. So like it's it's popular. It's it's got some staying power. Number nine is Furnace, an excellent engine building bidding game. Love this game. This game slaps. Oh god. Try, stop trying to appeal to the younger kid. Stop tr- start trying to appeal to the old man me. This game is what? No, I'm not that young either. This game is good. <laughs> Coming in at number eight is Calico. Oh, I man. played this game. It's really good. Still prefer Cascade. No, no, Calico's better than Cascadia. Chelsea's got my back. It's in her top ten. <laughs> uh, spoiler, Cascadia's not in her top ten. <laughs> <laughs> at number seven is Eclipse. I'm assuming second edition because we play that one the most. Ah, I didn't even talk about Eclipse second edition during the second edition. <laughs> oh man, Eclipse Second Edition, so good. So I don't good. know how many rules changes there are, but the component upgrade for Second Edition is nuts. It's beefed to the max. If you want to play something that is like Twilight Imperium without the politics and doesn't take an hour, eight hours, great game. Number six is Suburbia, and I'm guessing. This is another edition, but another quote-unquote second edition. I bet she has the collector's edition, that big it's square really box. Nice. It's really nice. I like this game, too. I, Suburbia is one of the ones I haven't played on this list, but it's it's been touted as a really great city-building game. We didn't have enough time to play all their board games while you were here. <laughs> 
Number five is Isle of Cats. Another another uh, polyomino tile laying game. This one's super good. We've been talking about Isle of Cats on this podcast for a while now. Absolutely. Play Isle of Cats. Uh, number four is Terraforming Mars. I've talked about this game a lot. Just terraform Mars, build trees, make oxygen. It's cool. It's fun. David's mid on it. Don't listen to him. <laughs> I would probably say I'm even less than mid on it. It's fine, but it's fine for like three hours. <laughs> David doesn't enjoy making numbers go up. <laughs> uh, number three is Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I might play this next month. Oh, really? I'm, I'm jealous. I need to set up a, 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 a game of this. It's been too long since I've played TI4. It's been over a year. You're aliens! Doing battle and politics and politics and battle. It's great. I agree that this should be higher than Eclipse. This is a good choice. Number two is Frosthaven slash Gloomhaven. Man, another heavy hitter. Chelsea, you just like massive box games? Because I think you've got collector's editions on all of these. Except for your, like, your first three. Like You needed some tiny boxes in there. <laughs> uh, and number one is Power Grid. You are the only person I've seen play Power Grid in my life. <laughs> you've, only see, you've only seen Chelsea play Power Grid? I, I, I have never, like, of all the board game conventions I've been to, I've never seen anyone else play Power Grid. <laughs> I mean, it's it's super, like, well-liked. There are the people that love Power Grid. I think they have all the maps. It is really fun. I am not one of the people that love Power Grid. I just, I can't understand. I can't understand it. I lose every time. <laughs> it's just... My brain doesn't work that way. Uh, it's just electricity, bro. Just electricity. Yeah, yeah bro. <laughs> bro. Just, bro. Bro. It's just electricity. <laughs> Thank you for submitting your top ten. I didn't agree with a couple of them, but overall, what a fantastic list of games. And if you want us to review your list, uh, email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll roast your top ten. We'll say mostly nice things, probably. <laughs> probably, we'll probably say mostly nice things. It's it's. I I understand that for terraforming Mars and Power Grid, I'm in the vast minority. <laughs> Absolutely, and if you don't want to email us, you can message us on Instagram. We do have an Instagram. We don't utilize it a lot. Well, that's not that, that's not true. I utilize it every day. I just don't post. <laughs> All right, he talks to other board gaming people. Yes, I do. <laughs> you could be no. one of those. You could be one of them telling us your top ten. <laughs> or you could join our Discord. Link below. We did talk about a couple other people's top tens, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Probably Anderson. Shout out to Anderson again. Why not? <laughs> join us next fortnight. Until then, bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>